Hey guys, I'm coming through to let you know that the IMG Roadmap course is coming back. Yes, that's right. We start on July 12th at 8.30 p.m. In order to sign up, click the link in the show notes to learn more. It's going to be a four-week course, online group coaching with me. You get both the self-paced format of the course and live support with me each Sunday for a total of four weeks. Come on over. Let's get you ready. The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap Podcast. At this point, guys, you already know how this goes. I find a super, super, super awesome IMG that is in residency or already in attending. We invite them on the podcast. We ask them the burning questions that you have. So today's guest is Dr. Sabina Khan. And before, I mean, guys, I'm so amazed when I meet other IMGs on the internet who know exactly what I'm talking about. Like they understand the pain, the struggle, but more importantly, they understand the importance of giving back. And Dr. Khan is doing that for us today. So she's an anesthesiologist and I'll go ahead. I think this is going to be our first anesthesiologist on the podcast. So I'll go ahead and allow her to tell us about herself. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Khan. Thank you so much, Nina, for having me over at your show. And hello, everyone who is tuned in and listening to us. My name is Sabina Khan, and I'm a U.S.-trained pediatric anesthesiologist working at a children's hospital in UAE for the past nine months. I'm originally from Pakistan, where I did my medical school from Dow University of Health Sciences in Karachi, which is also my hometown. I did four years of anesthesia residency from University of Arkansas and one year of pediatric anesthesiology fellowship from UT Houston, where I coached and mentored medical students, residents, and fellows. I stayed as a faculty over there for three years, where I was also the anesthesia team lead for scoliosis repair program in my hospital before I moved to UAE to be close to my family. Currently, I'm trying to venture into various arenas in mentoring and motivating not only students, but also the physicians struggling in various aspects of life. And I also recently started blogging through my Instagram space for the very reason that I met you, Nina. I am also a member of Board of Trustees for an organization that takes care of underprivileged, especially the old people in Pakistan. So that's about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. I'm just blown away. You know, not only residency trained, fellowship trained, and you have faculty experience. So that really sets you up as the perfect guest on the show. Because what we really want to know is medical school education, residency tips, residency application tips, and such. So can you share your match journey with us? Because you said you're originally from Pakistan. You currently live in United Emirates, but you trained here. So can you walk us through your process from how you got into anesthesia that first time around in Arkansas? 
Sure. So, you know, as we move along my journey, the whole MAD journey from medical school to residency and from fellowship to being a post-residency attending, I'll talk about the various strategies I used, the mistakes I did and rectified, and the challenges and obstacles I had to overcome. So we'll start from the med school times and you know when I look at these medical students these days it made me so proud that they have already taken USMLEs even before they graduate. So I was a kind of student who was very indecisive about the future plans except that I wanted to go abroad to pursue medical training. So the first advice I want to give to your audience is to be decisive and never settle for less. As you are graduating you have a lot of options to explore, a lot of countries you could go to as an IMG. So for me, my sister was in UK practicing medicine. So naturally, it was very easy for me to go over there. However, after a lot of contemplation, I started gathering information about USMLEs, US training, experiences. And with a huge cultural difference and having no family in the US, it was a very difficult decision for a girl who was also single. But my family was super supportive throughout the process. So what I'm trying to say here is that ideally, it is better to have a clear track of what exam and country you want to choose ahead of time. But if for some reason you start later than your peers, remember that you may, when you make a decision and you truly commit, you can overcome any obstacle. And your commitment to the decision will tell the world that this is it. I, this is how I want to change my destiny and get the things going for myself. So the second tip I would want to say is that, you know, no matter how much I tell you about the strategies and about the study plans, you have to take out pointers from all of our experiences together and devise your individualized study plan. So what has worked for me may not be best for you. So one, and also one thing to remember is not to hop between the books. It will only confuse you. So once you have a plan and it's really clear, just stick to it. So, you know, I started with Kaplan and USMLE World Q Bank. I know a lot of people use First Aid, but I guess I knew about it. Quite, I got to know about it quite late. So I did not want to start a new book. And then after this Kaplan and USMLE World Q Bank, I also took two to three NMBE sims before I sit, sat for the real test. So what is really important here is to have a good schedule. I mean, no matter how hard you study, but if you don't have a set schedule, then you can really fall behind in like the next few months. So I had a set schedule and I studied with a friend who had a totally opposite schedule. So I would wake up at three in the morning and I would study till noon. At noon, this friend would wake up and we would discuss what I had read and we would question each other. And we would also do questions together, reason out loud, why we chose a certain answer. And then I would sleep at nine while she would study till morning. So this was a great combination I felt of active and passive learning, and it kept me motivated, it cleared up my concepts and helped improve my test taking skills. Also taking short breaks in between and having a friend you can vent out are really necessary to prevent a burnt out. And for me, it was my super progressive grandmom. So she was the one who would listen to my rant all the time. So third tip I would say to uh, your audience is to stay focused towards your goal. So what happened a few weeks after I took my step one, I got engaged. And uh, luckily my husband was already residing in US and like many of my friends who had postponed their exam for later after marriage, I also got uh, derailed. You know, you are newly engaged uh, with wedding in a few months, you want to know your future spouse, you want to spend time and you know, enjoy the time and all. My very, very strict mom pulled me back and I was able to take the exam 15 days before I got married. 
So I advise you all, especially the girls, please, please, please do not let anything, not even your wedding sidetrack you. You will thank me later if you listen to my advice now. So I took my step two CK and this time I was more relaxed and, and I scored way better than my step one. My step one was not the greatest. It was, you know, I had 94 percentile, not enough to get into anesthesia, to be honest. But step two was higher than that, but definitely not double 99. So a few weeks after I took my CK, I flew down to the U.S. to my husband. And within two days and significantly jet lagged, I took my CS. And not a lot of people know that I got flunked. And I was devastated. I had never, ever failed in my exam. And this was a huge deal for me and my family both. Now the fourth tip comes. Embrace your failures, but do not dwell on those for a long time. And know that the strategy that worked for one exam may not work in the other due to different circumstances and exams. So I, uh, my husband and I discussed and we found some online USMLE support groups. And one was a USMLE forum. And I used that as my platform to restart. I identified the mistakes I had done earlier and practiced with the friends I made through the website. I did not have any friends of my own in the US. It was a very, very new country for me. So this time I read Banerjee took the exam, I passed. Now came the real challenge, Nina. What I realized that getting good scores were not enough to get you interviews if you do not have US clinical experience. And I did not have super good scores to be honest since I wanted to do anesthesia. I had no acquaintance to help me get into the system. Google was not the greatest then, and iPhone had just hit the markets. And guess what? I did not even own a laptop, and I would wait for my husband to come home in the evening so I could use his laptop. So one day out of desperation, I opened a Yellow Pages book that I had found outside my apartment door. Yellow Pages was, was the in thing those days. And I started calling up the physicians with foreign names in my neighborhood, hoping someone will respond. And Nina, in those two days, I kid you not, I called 40 physicians and not one responded except one who allowed me to do an observership at his private clinic. And due to the kind generosity of this Jew doctor from Iran, I was able to start my U.S. career. Wow, that's amazing. I just want to chime in there before you continue. Of course. I think it's a great tip. I always give IMGs the, so one of the things I do is I also coach IMGs that are going through this process through the IMG roadmap course. And one of the things I tell them is to contact people. And one of the tips I use is to look at the names because that's something I did as well. It's like, I'll just mm -hmm. go on the internet and find a name that I feel like, you know, it, like you said, a foreign name. Because for some reason, I felt like if I saw that name, it made me feel more comfortable to reach out because maybe they have a similar story to me or not, right? We don't know. But you can always reach out to programs, guys, like or doctors for opportunity. You never know who's going to respond. And even just like your resilience of having to wait until your husband gets home, it speaks to the fact that irrespective of how limited you feel your circumstances are, you can ditch that negative self-talk and actually look for ways to create your own success. And that's really what Dr. Khan is saying here, guys. Well, I don't want to interrupt you, but you get, keep going. Keep going. I love it. Oh, well, so, you know, the fifth advice I want to give all the audiences that one day your time will come. And in that time, help others, no matter how small that help is. So moving forward, while I was doing this observership, I was already trying to reach out to the Pakistani physician organizations 
And I would advise you all to do the same with your respective countries. If your country does not have one, please contact me and I'll try to connect you to the people who may help. So at that point, the then president of Dugana, Dugana is another DAO organization from my med school, it's my alumni organization. He was sitting at the airport when he received my email and he called me and asked to come to Fresno. He lived in California, Fresno, and I was living in LA at that time, by the way. So I rented an apartment in Fresno and I stayed there for a few months. It was a very, very shady area and I would sleep with a knife and a Quran under my pillow while I did the rotation. I was so scared every single night. And this person was a gastroenterologist, but knowing that I wanted to do anesthesia, he got me connected to the chief of anesthesia at UCSF Fresno. So I did some more rotations, which were basically just observerships and externships. And eventually a really nice family got to know about me through APNA, which is all Pakistani physicians in North America, and invited me to Arkansas. They helped me do some more rotations and eventually seeing my passion for anesthesia, they got me into a research position at Children's Hospital. In order to gain more experience, bridge the gaps and getting my feet wet, I did volunteership in clinics, offering free services to the underprivileged and enrolled myself in Red Cross blood drives. And while I was busy in trying to gather as much experience as possible, I got a call from a medical school friend who discouraged me from reaching out to people in this way in order to get US clinical experience unless I knew them personally. So this is another tip. Do not let people pull you down and do not wait for an opportunity to knock your door. If it does not knock, then build your own door. And this is what I did. So that year, I made a list of programs and specialties I would apply to. And my husband, who is super organized, he's an engineer, he helped me make Excel sheets of each specialty. And we marked the ones that were meeting my eligibility criteria. I was an IMG. I was marking my fifth year of graduating from med school. So my options were pretty limited. And although I wanted to do anesthesia, I did not restrict my application to one specialty. And I did not limit myself to any geographical restrictions. And I was willing to move anywhere in the U.S. So I applied to a lot of programs. I am internal medicine, family medicine, anesthesia, and psychiatry. And this allowed me to bag at least 15 interviews with six pre-matches. So here I will say that although I did not have any visa issues, and I knew I had a chance to match in anesthesia due to my research experience, and because of me wanting to be in anesthesia, I did not accept any pre-match. But if a person has certain limitations, I would say pre-match is actually a very good deal. So if you have you know, good scores, if you have good U.S. clinical experience and you get a pre-match, I would go for it. And later, retrospectively, I feel that if I had not matched in anesthesia, I would have gone towards IM, which was my second choice. And then later, once you already have some experience, you can always try to switch between the specialties. A lot of people from my class, the residents from my class did that actually. So now comes the interview part. So when you get an interview offer, you should know that your hard work has already paid off and you have done your job of getting scores, good LORs, and now the program only wants to see you in person, and they want to assess if you are a good match, if you have good communication skills, and you are a good team player. That's very, very important because you are gonna be there for three years now. So walk into the room confidently knowing that this is a good time for you as well to assess if they are a good fit for you, as you will be committing towards the next three years, four years in anesthesia, five years in surgery, and you do not want to get stuck into a bad marriage, like bad program, which is exactly like bad marriage. 
So anyhow, I mashed into anesthesia. So this is how I mashed. <laughs> well, I mean, I think let's just talk a little bit about some of the yes. things that you mentioned, because I like to highlight things that I believe help people to create their own medical success stories. And from what you've recounted here, I just wanted to make some reference to a few points. So currently for anybody listening, you may wonder what, because usually this is a big question amongst IMGs. They want to know how, what the score was, what the score was and stuff. But to give you some perspective, when I took the test, it was a two-digit score, just like what Dr. Khan is explaining to us. The 99 percentile was the equivalent of what a 240 feels like, right? So when she relayed her scores earlier, that's what she meant by getting a 94th percentile on the first test, meaning she wasn't anywhere close to what a 240 would have been. But then on the second time on CK, changing her approach with studying, she was able to get that higher of a, a score. And then she also goes into the detail of like, having experienced a failure in CS, but not letting that failure define her. And I always say this, I did a webinar before, like a few weeks ago, and it was things to do when you don't match. And one of the things I recommended for IMGs is when you have something on your application that may be perceived as a red flag, it's important that you find ways to compensate for that. And you did that when you started calling up programs, looking for observerships, looking for externships, trying to connect with other faculty members and even non-faculty members reaching out. Because in reaching out, you got so many no's, but you got that one yes that was like an open door. Or like you said, build your own door, right? So I really want to emphasize that these are the lessons that we are trying to share with IMGs. You can do this as well if you just follow the steps. So you did mention as well, um, Dr. Khan, that you recently have picked up blogging and recently are open to folk reaching out to you. Can you tell the audience sort of how to reach out, where to find you, what your blog site is and how they can connect with you? Nina, they can use my Insta handle. They can email me. I guess I also have my phone number. I am reachable. I have been held by so many people and, you know, I really start, wanted to start sooner, but then I don't know if you read into my blog that, you know, I had some hiccups, my son got a little sick, and then, you know, we were kind of tied up for the next three years with him, but um, I am there for, for, for people who need me. I am there to help, and um, they can call me, they can email me, they can use my Insta handle. I think Insta would be better because I am really active on, it, on that these days, but whatever mode they want to use and is comfortable, I am there for them. So guys, I'm going to include her Insta handle in the show notes of this podcast, but I'll just say it out here for those of you who are quick, right? It's at sabina.ali.com.md. Like I said, it'll be in the show notes as well. And her website is sabinaalikan.wordpress.com. So again, that will be in the show notes. So make sure you look in the show notes. It's a one-click chance. You just click on the link and it'll take you directly to it. So that'll be really easy to find, guys. So Dr. Khan, there was today, actually, just a few moments ago before I got on this podcast with you, I think it was like divine, you know, divinely orchestrated because an IMG reached out to me and she says she's interested in anesthesia. So I'm going to read out her question and I want to see if you have any advice for her. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So she says, hello, my name is Caroline. I'm a non-US IMG from St. George University in Grenada. I'm currently in third year rotations in California. I'm interested in going into anesthesia, but I'm so clueless, I don't have a lot of networks or connections. I only have my step one score of 243. Ha 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 ha. Any advice? 
So what would you tell student Dr. Caroline about matching or preparing to match into anesthesia as an IMG? Hi, Caroline. Thank you for reaching out. Nina, you're so amazing <laughs> to kind of do this. What I would suggest that this is that you have got good scores. So this is the time to get some US clinical experience. And I would be more than happy to connect you to the right people. Let me just, you know, either email me or you know, Nina, I can ask you for her email address or whatever contact, and then we can just connect and uh, talk about it. I'll be more than happy to walk you through and help you through this. Absolutely. So I'll definitely connect you with her through Instagram. And guys, this is why I asked you to send me questions because you never know who I'll be interviewing on the podcast. So if you have a question, you want to come on the podcast and ask those questions, I can answer them live or I can connect you with somebody else. So please feel free to reach out. So Dr. Khan, moving on to some more questions. So now when you match into residency, you moved on into fellowship. Was that a difficult process because you were an IMG? Did that affect your fellowship match in any way? So Nina, it was not as difficult as matching into the residency, to be honest, because uh, for residency, I had no real US clinical experience. I had a research and just few observerships under the belt. I had never held a blade and I was in one of the most competitive fields with top-notch pairs around. So that was pretty tough. Every day I would uh, come home dejected I had ne- you know, b- because of failed intubations. The airlines I would miss easily and the sarcastic remarks I would hear due to being behind. One thing that I would mention would be that once you start your residency as an IMG and you feel like you are a little bit different than others, try to find a good mentor. And I was very lucky to find an amazing mentor, Dr. Chance, and he helped me get through this initial time with his tips and everything. So uh, that was one important thing. But, you know, once you uh, switch towards fellowship, it's not as hard. You are as good as any other U.S. graduate. Also, your ITE scores matter here. So I guess just like medicine exams, you know, the I'm not sure what they are called, but AB, ABM, I'm not sure. But anyhow, for anesthesia, we have ITE exams. And uh, for that, if you have good scores, then that also counts towards getting fellow- into fellowship. So basically, you're as good as a, as a U.S. graduate uh, once you are into residency. Right. Definitely. I would totally agree with that as well. Really, once you get into residency, it's up to you to create the rest of your life. And like you said, there's multiple IMGs that have switched specialties. I know IMGs who have trained in one specialty and went back and trained in another. So you don't have to feel like, you know, this is going to be something that's going to be a burden on your shoulders for the rest of your life because you didn't go to school in America. You can always, always, always change the trajectory of your life if you indeed build that door for yourself. So another thing I was going to discuss with you now Talk to us from a faculty member standpoint, because you did three years of being a faculty member. Can you walk us through what you would, what your advice would be as far as like making a good impression, maybe for interviews or for the aspiring residency applicant? What are just some faculty tips and tricks you have for IMGs? Sure. So I was fortunate to transition from being a fellow to an attending in the same program. 
and the people around me were super 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 supportive so for me i guess it was not as hard it was hard in the sense that one day i was a fellow and next day i was a decision maker for the patients and every resident and fellow would look up to me and wait for me to tell what to do so that was kind of a little tough initially but i guess i had a lot of supporters around me and you know to whom i could fall back on but um yeah i would just say that as a fellow you should not be too hard on yourself you should uh, take one day at a time and do not get flustered it's also for the residents by the way because it can get really frustrating when you want to prove that you are the best but you're not able to kind of show how so other point is that you know any time you feel indecisive do not feel shy in checking and asking somebody just like a student or a resident or a fellow being a new faculty is the same kind of transition that do not do not be afraid in asking and getting feeling as if somebody will judge you nobody is out there to judge you especially as a faculty i mean you are out there you have already proven yourself you are good so once you feel confident then only i would say that you know you do do not take advice or anything but even till after 3 years of into my being a faculty i would still turn back and ask my colleagues and especially my super amazing boss her name is maria matuzak and i would i would ask her to listen to this uh, podcast she'll be so proud because she has seen me transition from being a really scared new fellow to being a faculty and being the team lead of the whole scoli program in our in our hospital wow wow that's awesome. that's awesome that's super amazing So we're just going to pry a little bit because here you are you've had this great career training both at University of Arkansas and at UT Houston and despite the odds you made it on the other side you created your own medical success story which is really what I want people to hear is how you did it and you've told us exactly how you did it and you've given us so many great tips as to how we can replicate or like you said not necessarily replicate your process but use all the different processes that we learned through this podcast and implement that in our life in whatever way that's applicable for us but you moved away from the US and you currently live in the United Arab Emirates i know it's like one of the most beautiful places in the world and i would probably want to live there all to be when i think of any gold so can you tell us why you moved and what that transition was like being a, a US trained physician did you have to take any additional board exams there I did not have to take any exams because luckily being a US graduate and being you know someone who was trained in US it's a big deal here in UAE and uh, they recognize all of your exams and your training so my uh, decision was based on basically it was a family decision in which you know our parents are growing old and uh, it's hard for them to travel so we uh, decided to move here for a few years and also have our child be close to the family dubai is really close to pakistan so you know we are not because of covid but before that we were able to travel more frequently and this is our plan in the future as well to have our child be close to the family and then uh, in in the next few years we do plan to come back okay that's awesome that's awesome Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like I mentioned, we'll have all your contact information in the show notes below. But as we before we get off, there's just some other key academic questions that I know some IMDs usually have. They want to know, like, did you do research? Besides, you mentioned a lot of observationships, but did you do any research? And do you feel like that is essential for anesthesia match? 
I did a six month of research training in Arkansas children, and this is where I matched also. So for me, it really helped because in anesthesia is a super competitive field and coming from a different part of the world and not knowing anything about US, rest aside, anesthesia, it uh, was very, very hard for me to even gain observerships in anesthesia, to be honest. So research is definitely going to help get into anesthesia for sure. And especially, I would say, try to choose, uh, you know, when you're trying to search for a research program, try to look for the program you would like to be a resident. So for me, it really helped because I was into the research program. So I started making friends over there and I started, you know, broadening my, you know, like a circle. And this is how I got to know a lot of uh, anesthesia attendings over there. And, you know, when I went for an interview, that helped. Right. right. I agree. I, I think there are some specialties where research carries a lot more weight and definitely anesthesia is one of them. So we've already built, you already told us kind of how we can connect with you, but are there any final words or any mantras that you live by that you want to share with us before we get off your interview? So Nina, my mantra of life, which I always live by is, so there are some people who live in a dream world and there are some who face reality. And then there are those who turn one into the other. So be the one who turn a dream into reality. I love it. Be the one who turns a dream into reality. I'm just saying this was a dream for me. And really, if I can do it, if a person like me who was not a top notcher, a top scorer, just because of hard work and right strategies, I feel I was able to do it. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. I definitely agree with you 100%. And just putting this out there for anyone who needs help with their strategy, you can visit us at imgroupmap.com to learn about the ways that I help IMGs to create strategy for themselves. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dr. Khan. We really, really, really appreciate your insight, your wisdom, and being open to share that with us. And like you said at the very beginning, to give back because we've all been through these struggles and now is the time to give back. I'll definitely include your blog in the show notes. So everybody go on Instagram right now and follow her. Ask her the questions that you have. As you can tell, she has the experience. She has the validation to answer these questions from being a resident, a fellow, a faculty member, and someone who is definitely walking in that successful career at this point in time. So guys, reach out to her, contact her, Follow her blogs, follow her social links, which are all in the show notes. If you enjoy this podcast, we are asking you to rate, comment, and subscribe. Leave us a comment in the comment section. Apple Podcast helps us to reach more people. Thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Khan. Thank you so much, Nina. You are super awesome for doing all of this. I really, really, really admire you. Thank you so much. You are an inspiration for so many of us. I'm so humbled.